Hello and welcome to My Biggest Lesson, the show that brings you the key learnings from the most influential founders, executives, and investors in the Colorado tech community. My name is Adam Burrows. And I'm Chris Erickson. Together, we are the co-founders of Range Ventures. An early stage venture firm based in Denver. You can find out more about what we're up to at range.vc. Our guest this week is Allison Engel. Allison is a partner at Graycroft, where she focuses on early stage investments across fintech, enterprise, and education. She became a VC after 20 years of incredible operating experience, including being the first chief marketing officer at Stripe, a VP of marketing at LinkedIn, and previous experience at Microsoft, CBS, HBO, and Goldman Sachs. Allison, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks, Chris. Thanks again for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you. So we'd love to start with telling us a bit about your career and then what you're up to now with Graycroft. Yeah, sure. I've had a very multivariate career over the last 20 plus years. You know, in my current role, I'm a partner at Graycroft. We're a seed to growth venture capital fund. We invest globally. Um, we've been around 17 years and just closed two more funds, about a billion dollars in in funding for both early stage investments and and growth, and we can spend more time talking about that. So my the last four years for me has been in the venture capital world, which has been an extraordinary learning curve and and just a really fun, rewarding experience. You know, many years before coming to Graycroft, I was I've been an operator for the bulk of my career. So going back chronologically, I had a real passion for media when I was a kid and went to UCLA to join the communications program there, and which was kind of a life-changing experience for me, being in Los Angeles, being able to intern at so many different companies across TV and, and cable and, and movie studios and the like, um, and then found myself working in media for the first part of my career. And I'm still close to those mentors and, and former colleagues to this day. It was a great experience. After that, I, I was in sales at that point, selling advertising and was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was kind of five years into my career at that point. Went back to business school um, to really round out my skill set. I had a very liberal arts undergrad, which I loved at UCLA. So I jumped into statistics and and really advanced quantitative work at Wharton, which was also you know an incredible experience for me. Then became an investment banker. We can come back to that chapter if we have time, which you know was great from a skill set standpoint, but I think really had me um, left me thinking even harder about what I wanted to do for my career, what kind of impact I wanted to have. And it was really after the, the time as an investment banker that I found entrepreneurship. So joined a startup, and um, this is in 2004, that combined, you know, kind of my past and present. It was a video game advertising startup. I was the 16th person. It was based in New York City. And that was, you know, potentially some of the most fun I've had in my entire career. And so once I joined an early stage startup, that was the impact I think I was looking for. It took me 10 years to find entrepreneurship. Now it's everywhere. But, you know, a couple of decades ago, that was that was not the case. Um, and, and so started on a startup journey. Um, and that led me to Microsoft, LinkedIn, and then to Stripe in the years that followed. And um, yeah, so it's just been an incredible, an incredible ride. A lot of hard work and a lot of good fortune along the way. And what made you take the jump to the other side? Because as an incredibly impressive operator background, but now you're on the other side as the in, the investor. And, and having gone through a similar transition myself, I'm always curious to ask people, like, why did you do that to yourself? 
Yeah, <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I I still very much approach investing as with an operator builder mindset. I think you you have to do that every single day. It still is about building a company brick by brick. Um, I think for me, after 20 plus years of operating largely as a CMO, but also in sales and in and, and finance, um, I was excited to take that broad skill set and apply it to even a broader canvas. When you're an operator, I find you know that you are 100 miles deep and maybe a few miles wide. As an investor, it's kind of the inverse. You're a few hundred miles wide and not as deep. Um, and it was a new challenge for me learning new industries, learning new business models, meeting people from all over the world. So I think I was able to bring a skill set and still feel like you're learning every single day. And what are you focused on now at Graycroft? Are there any industries or sectors or stages where you're spending most of your time today? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think we moved to more of a sector-specific approach for our partners about two years ago, but we, we kind of structure the firm to have majors and minors, if you will. So a major of mine has been fintech, largely on the back of my Stripe experience, but I still minor in most other sectors. Um, I really came into venture looking for that breadth. So we do a fair amount of fintech. I'm also really interested in the world of ed tech. I think it's one of the areas where education crossed with AI is really interesting. It might be scary too, but I think there's just so much potential. So I'm, I'm spending more time getting up to speed more in the education sector I still love the enterprise tools. I was I worked in enterprises most of my career before joining InVenture. So I, I've lived that world and have been a buyer of sales and marketing tools. So I spent a bunch of time looking at AI crossed with the sales and marketing tech stack, which is super interesting. It's obviously a very hot area right now. And I guess, you know, another area for me is you know, around the world of climate. I think it's really interesting. It's less is where I spend time, but I think it's also something that's very unique about the Colorado ecosystem is the passion and expertise that's been here for a long time, you know, around climate and renewable resources. Well, that's actually a great transition to my, my next question. I know that that you invest not just nationally, but globally as part of Graycroft, but you're here in Colorado. You know, since you moved here, what have you seen in the Colorado ecosystem and what excites you about the local market? Yeah, I have loved this ecosystem. It's just been obviously working with you and the range team. Um, there's so many great early stage investors. It's a very collaborative culture here, which I love. Not, I don't think everyone would call investing collaborative at Greycroft. We do. And that's a big part of our, our firm and our ethos. But yeah, I've, I've loved it here. I think there's, there's so much talent, so much innovation without the same kind of attitude and ego that you find in other markets. I think people are are willing to work together more. And there's just an awesome ecosystem of founders, technologists, and investors here. So I've loved being here the last two years. And I think it extends from all the way from Salt Lake City, you know, all the way to Nashville and and into the Southeast with Colorado being in the middle of it. So yeah, I think it's a really innovative, um, exciting place. And I think what's it's both homegrown folks who have lived here and are innovating here or came to school here. But then there's also people like me who have been moving here from all over the world. So bringing a different perspective, bringing some different experience. And I think when you combine all of that um, into one ecosystem, there's so much untapped potential here. Yeah, we're really excited about that. And, you know, with the combination of those two things, we actually just saw something from The New York Times that Denver was the number two biggest influx of remote workers over the past two years of any city in the United States. Right. Yeah. And I think it's it's that momentum. And I think once folks move here, they're not going to leave and people aren't going to stay remote forever. And so I'm really excited about the continued talent migration, this ecosystem. 
Before we jump into the biggest lesson, which I want to get to quickly, is there one particular Colorado startup that you're excited about or that you've seen and, and you like what they're doing? Yeah, the one that we spent time with, we're not current investors, but we love the business and, and the founder, Emily, and her team are, we think, exceptional. It's called Odyssey Energy Solutions, and based in Boulder, but working globally. And they're really building a unique platform that helps companies, government, municipalities, you know, finance and procure operations around renewable energy projects. You kind of think about the need for renewable energy in, you know, countries and cities all over the world. And they're really building a unique platform to help those projects get off the ground, create a marketplace for supplies and materials and a supply chain that also is very challenging to execute against. Um, so it's a really interesting company and a team to watch. That's great. So let's transition to, to you and your biggest lesson. You know, you've had an amazing career as an operator, now on the investor side. I'm sure you've learned many lessons of things to do well, things you could improve on, but would love to hear what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your career? How did you learn it? How has it changed you? And how do you do things differently today as a result of it? You know, as I really thought about our conversation today, I had so many different tangents and notes of things that I've learned just from my career, but more importantly, just from all of the extraordinary people and CEOs and founders I've been fortunate enough to work with. And I would say if there's one way to boil it down, it's really, you have to really define your own version of success. You know, I think at the end of the day, you have to decide, you know, what you want to do. And, and I, I really believe I didn't make up the saying someone else did, but how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And that's really, you know, to be really intentional. And I think there were times in my career when, um, and especially kind of my post media, figuring out business school, figuring out finance, that wasn't the right path. Like, and you need to choose your own journey. And there were times in my life when I think I was on the right path, but I was borrowing inspiration from other people or other paradigms. And I think that's fine. I learned a ton from that and I'm grateful for all those experiences. But I think to have, to me, the most fulfilling kind of personal life, professional life, it really goes with defining your own success. You know, you grow from that as an individual when you think about being a team leader. It's also, I think, incumbent upon you to understand how each of your teammates define success, right? So that you can unify everyone behind a common goal to support your team, your company, and the ultimate outcome. And I think when I think about the extraordinary leaders I've worked with, both at LinkedIn, at Stripe, at Microsoft, and then the founders I work with, I think when they are the most successful and the most clear in their vision, it's when they've really defined success for themselves and the company. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You're one of the lessons I learned, and I'd love your take on on this. Is I worked with a leadership coach, a guy named Chris Holmberg, who was really good about not just defining the what of success, but the how you're going to do it, and, and that's part of succeeding too, right? And that was a really important lesson for me because before then, I was just very black and white about there's only a result that matters. It, it does for investors, right? But like how you actually get there is equally important, not just for your own satisfaction, but I think even more important for how you lead a team. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Right. In doing that. And how did you, so as you talk about success, there's the what and the how. How have you worked on both of those things? You know, starting with kind of that that individual definition and really staying true to that and assessing everything that you're choosing to do, the next 
role you choose, the company, is this the right manager and the right culture? You know, you need to stay true to, to what that looks like. I mean, I think as a team leader in particular, it's really understanding the, what how people are intrinsically motivated and how they are extrinsically motivated. This, I think the book is at least a decade old now called Drive. And it has just an awesome kind of deep dive into this. And I read that early on in my kind of as I was scaling as a leader through Microsoft and LinkedIn and really started to understand what was my job to, you know, to get to the heart of what motivates people. And and look, definitions of success changes. Like, you know, it's also applying a growth mindset and realizing that as the world around you is changing, those parameters can change. So, you know, I'll give you an example. When I was at LinkedIn, I joined pre-IPO. So early 2011, we were quickly scaling that business. It was rapid fire. It was, you know, a, a pivotal part of my career. Um, and I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I use those lessons, talk about lessons, use those lessons every single day. But as we were scaling, what's really interesting is, and this can happen also when you acquire a business, some people that joined in that early stage, they all of a sudden, they joined a 500-person company, and then all of a sudden, it's a 2,000-person company. And their role, their impact, their sense of self, their sense of what they came to do every day to work is quite different. And for some people, that's exciting. For some people, they've lost touch with kind of a very, you know, with something that feels more intimate to them because they're just part of a bigger organization. And that creates a lot of friction. So I had one leader who had been at LinkedIn for years, exceptionally talented individual, and he was kind of bristling at the the bigger meetings, more comms, more internal stakeholder management, um, and I was considering leaving. And this is always a natural evolution of companies, but you do not want your 10x hires, your exceptional talent to leave. And I never advocate for changing work structures completely around individuals per se, but there are times when it takes creative thinking. So I kind of sat down and understood really what he was striving for, right? What what got him excited to, these were long hours, these were exciting days, but this becomes, it's a pretty consuming part of your life to be at a company at that stage and at that velocity. So we did, we re-architected his role to be moving out of a team leadership role, critical leadership role on my team to being an individual contributor. He ran our sponsored updates product, which was our biggest bet on the advertising side. This was, you know, 2012. It's now a multi-billion dollar product kind of 10 years later through the through the hard work and creativity of thousands of people. But he planted the early seeds with a product designer and an engineer and a product manager. The four of them built this product from kind of alpha to beta to literally now a multi-billion dollar product. But if I had kind of ignored that or didn't have a lot of compassion for what how he was defining success, I, you know, I would have lost that individual and it would have been, you know, just a huge missed opportunity for everyone. So I think that's just one example of how you need to get in the weeds and really think about, you know, what is it that may, motivates every single person that's part of this operation? And, you know, how can you pull that out of them and align people more holistically? I think that's a, that's a great lesson on how you can help others to find success as a leader. We'd love to get a little more tactical, especially in, in your role day to day, right? Which is much more about you're playing in your day and your time and much more responsible for that and less leadership things as an investor. What do you do tactically to be intentional about your day and your week with that orientation towards how you define success for yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. I think in the last few years in the venture capital world, obviously it's always lots of up and ups and downs, but it was crazy. I mean, we, you know, in between 2020 and 
end of 2021 met thousands of companies. Like it was just a very high velocity job. And there are times in those crazy periods when you're not always taking in enough oxygen. You're not always stepping back enough and you're reacting, right? And I think it, you have to learn to react, but then you have to learn to deflect and prioritize and like segment your time. And I've worked with leaders who were exceptional at this. And Jeff Weiner always, as we were trying to borrow inspiration from Jeff at LinkedIn for how he was so efficient and effective. And he really taught us about how to block time and like, how do you have boundaries for thinking and reading and walking? You can't just sit at your desk. I mean, you can. It's not great to sit at your desk for 12 or 18 hours a day and just grind through email and respond to all the inputs coming in. So how do you kind of take shape of your own day? So for me personally, we set quarterly goals at the firm, um, you know, just around how we want to run the firm, how we want to think about our investments. And you just make sure you're you're really focused on the highest value work, right? So for me, I spend, I kind of carve up my days and weeks into kind of three primary buckets um, and I block time accordingly. So the first is really around looking at new investments. That's our primary role, right? Is, is driving returns from the capital we've been trusted with. So really spending time meeting early stage investors, meeting founders and, and evaluating companies. So that's one significant block. The next block is really um, helping our current portfolio companies. I'm on the board of several companies um, around the world. I also help companies outside of the own boards that I'm a part of. And so you're very close to those founders and helping them grow their businesses. And you know, the last year has not been for the fate of heart for uh, for founders in tech. And so there's been a lot of time invested. And I, I think that's where I really lean on my operational background. And then the third part is working with our team. You know, we have a 50 person firm that's largely headquartered um, New York and Los Angeles. We have a lot going on and um, we have a lot of different funds. We have our, you know, we're working, executing a few different strategies. And so spending time with our team um, internally is, is another focus. But you know, I, I, at the end of the day, what we really try to do, Chris, especially when things are crazy and when things were really changing in the macro last summer, we really sat down as a partnership and I sat down and was like, okay, what is success for the second half of 2022? Like, what does this look like? Right. And there was a lot of distraction. Valuations were all over the place. It was just crazy. It was, it was very, very noisy. It was like, okay, we want to focus on doing one or two seed deals. Like, Let's tune out. You know, I don't really want to right now invest time in a recap. I don't want to invest time in like a really messy situation. There can be gold in those hills, but I'm like, for my conscience, for my definition of success, I want to find, you know, something net new. This is the bar for the founders that we're evaluating. I think you're always looking to hold the highest bar because it just takes extraordinary people to build extraordinary companies, period. But sometimes when it's noisy, you can kind of lose focus on on really the types of individuals you really think can do this. It's not for everyone. It's for a very few percentage of people can be, I think, exceptional entrepreneurs and, and take things, you know, to a standalone company, which is the outcome we're looking for. And so we just try to get very focused again, right? Clear your inbox, archive a thousand emails, and just come in, wake up every morning with that clarity of thought. Allison, thank you very much. I think the lesson in terms of defining success and then being very intentional with how you get there is a really important one, especially in times when things are exceptionally noisy or changing quickly, right? Yes. You can get caught up and lost in everything that, that's going on. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us. How can our listeners you know, follow you or, or stay in touch with what you're up to? 
yeah, and even though I bleed LinkedIn blue, which most LinkedIn alumni will say, I, yeah, I, I do want to post more and share more. People can connect with me at, at any time and would love to, you know, rejoin you guys on the podcast. I think one other thing I would leave people with is, you know, a critical point in my career was some advice I would get from folks in my own network. Not always people that knew me that well, people who knew my story and knew some of the stones I had crossed, but weren't so close to me that they couldn't hold up a mirror and tell me when I wasn't really you know, living up to some of the values I said I was living living up to. And so I think everyone needs their own board of advisors. And I think, at, you know, especially in times like this, it's always really helpful. I reach out to people all the time, right? What are you seeing? What are you feeling? Investing in particular, I think, unlike an operator where you're surrounded by people, investing can, can feel pretty solo. It can, you know, it can be kind of, you can feel like you're a little bit on an island at times. It's a different motion completely. Than, than living within a large scale company. And so just make sure you're really, you're building your own board the way that companies build their own boards for advice and expertise and, and governance too. Cool, Allison, thank you so much for joining us today.